I have a seven-year-old that is bringing up the rear in our family. When I have her out with me, I frequently get this statement from other people who are simply observing our interaction. My, she's a handful. <laughs> Thanks for laughing. I don't find it funny. <laughs> now, the good thing about my seven-year-old is that she's got some old, an older brother and an older sister who are older, wiser, they're teenagers, they're smarter, they have life experience, and best of all, they are experts on mom and dad. <laughs> they are. Constantly, I hear aside comments that they make to her. Maddie, Maddie, you don't want to do that. That's going to make mom act off. Maddie. Or, Maddie, Maddie, dad doesn't like that. Maddie, don't, don't. And inevitably, out of her mouth at volume setting 11 is this statement. You're not the boss of me. You're not the boss of me. I'm going to do what I want to do. Boom. I heard it yesterday. I was at a, a birthday party yesterday. And one of the kids was trying to tell one of the other kids uh, how to do these things with pipe cleaners. And the kid you know, didn't skip a beat. He was like, you're not the boss of me. And I was like, that's what I'm preaching on tomorrow. And he, he just... He gave me this funny look like, what? Okay. My seven-year-old lives her whole life under authority. She lives her whole life under the authority of others. Um, at school at Rosenwald Dunbar. Now, authority, by the way, authority is this, uh, let me give you a definition. Authority is the right and power to influence or command others. Let me say that again. Authority is the right and power to influence or command others. So Maddie spends her whole life under the authority of other people. At school, it's Mrs. Brakebill. Mrs. Brakebill has both the right, she's her teacher, and the power. There are all kinds of discipline strategies that she has, stickers, getting stuck outside in the hallway, having to go to the principal, I mean, all kinds of stuff. Um, Mom and dad, we have both the right, we're her parents, and the power when we choose to exercise it, okay? Um, John, Mark, and Jill, in Maddie's opinion, have the power. They're bigger than her, but in her mind, they don't have the right to tell her what to do. You're not the boss of me. Okay? Um, same thing with their friends. Her friends try and tell her what to do. She needs to do it this way, that way. You're not the boss of me. Her friends, they may be bigger than her. They may sometimes have the power, sometimes don't. They never have the right in her mind. Now, the funny thing is sometimes when it comes to mom and dad, we have the right, but we don't have the power as in willpower, like, you know, bedtimes, when both of us are not wanting to forcibly get her up there, Maddie, go to bed, Maddie, go to bed, Maddie, go to bed, you know, nine times later, you know, she's not going to bed. That's lack of willpower. We have the right and the power when we exercise it. So you're not the boss of me, kind of, I think, is, encapsulates the American way of living life. It does. Um, we're told all the time to buck authority. We're told to question authority in America. Why? You want to be free, don't you? You want to do what you want to do, when you want to do it, how you want to do it, with whomever you choose, without interference. Thank you very much, especially from good old mom and dad. That's like freedom! It's awesome. Bucking authority is as American as apple pie. If you don't believe me, take a course in U.S. history. In 1776, as a nation, as a people, we said, Hey, king, you're fired! You can't tell us what to do. You can't be reaching into our pockets and pulling out all this tax money and all this stuff. Pfft, we're not going to be English anymore. We're Americans. 
We're going to chart our own course. We're going to self-determine our own government. So we fired the king. And there was an expression during that time, during the Revolutionary War, it was called, live free or die. Right? I'd rather die if I'm going to be enslaved to some king, under the authority of some king. Today, that little statement is the motto of New Hampshire. It's the funniest thing to watch play out in the summer. Here's why. In New Hampshire, live free or die, you can ride a motorcycle and not wear a helmet. But in Massachusetts, which is what you have to go through to get to New Hampshire, it's mandatory helmet laws. So about a decade ago, Jenny and I were visiting family in New Hampshire, and at the state line, I, I kept seeing all these motorcyclists with their helmets, and they would hit the state line, and then they would pull over and take off their helmet. And I was like, what is going on? Is, you know, <laughs> I didn't understand. And, and my aunt, who was very cynical, was like, yeah, they, it's all that live free stuff, you know. So they think as soon as they get to Ham New Hampshire, it's a good idea to take off the helmet. But, you know, when they hit the car or the light pole, you know, boom, instant death. How's that freedom going to work for them? She's a little cynical about that, <laughs> my aunt. Okay. So here's the thing. Culturally, culturally, you and I are conditioned to buck authority, question authority, not kind of want to go with authority. And I would argue it's kind of almost human nature to do so. Uh, but especially in America of late, since the 1960s and 70s, um, all of our authority structures have kind of broken down anyway. Watergate did it for politics. Um, the TV evangelists did it for Protestants. Uh, the pedophile priests did it for Catholics. You could go on and on down the, down the, down the list. And authority structures have just been decimated. The, about the only group that still has any kind of vestige of authority, the right and power to control or influence somebody to do something, is the police, right? And it plays out in the news. NBC News or one of the news stations will report about a woman who disappeared in Ohio, and they'll say the authorities have determined that she was probably taken by force, da 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 da, da okay? Authorities, they've got a badge, the right to tell somebody what to do, and they've got guns and the power to tell somebody what to do, okay? So, but... We have this thing, okay? So culturally, right, you and I are told, don't let anyone tell you how to live your life. Be true to yourself. And I would suggest to you that that's bad advice. And before you want to stone me, let me make a, allow me to make a case, okay? So we're going to be in the book of John when we get there. You can open it to John 19. I think one of the delicious ironies of all of this is that you actually become less free as you move through life anyway, from childhood, right? Now, you middle schoolers and high schoolers, this is going to scare you to death, and I'm sorry, but sometimes the truth hurts, okay? So here's, and if you don't, right, because if you're in middle school or high school, you think, man, when I grow up, when I move out, I'm going to be free. But this is how it works, see? If you fall in love, guys, and you have a girlfriend or a wife, you are not free <laughs> to game all you want to game. No, it's going to be what she's interested in, and she would like to go out to dinner, and she has, you know, okay, so that's going to play out. And then the, the shortest route to lose your freedom, just have a baby or get a puppy dog. <laughs> Same thing. 
Babies, what, babies have wants and needs too. And how do they express their want or need? You have no clue what it is they're asking. Let's give it milk. Let's tell you, you know, they're just complaining about the temperature, but they can't tell you. Hey, Dad, could you turn it down two degrees? I'm uncomfortable. Okay, so this is, it plays out this way. Okay, so um, you get a job because now you're a grown-up. You're going to be free, so you've got to have money to pay for things. So you, you get this job, and on this job, you have to report when they tell you to report. And then when you show up at work, you have to do what they tell you to do. And then a few weeks or a few months later, they're coming in and they're in your face because you're not doing it right and you need to do more of it and you need to do it differently. And, and, and it, on and on it goes. And then when the, when the moment finally hits and you get that paycheck and you're looking at it, you then have the realization that another entity, the government, has come in and reached into your work and your job and scooped out a large chunk of money. Boom. You don't get a choice. There's no opt-out thing that you can do with this kind of stuff. And we've come full circle as a society. The very thing we fired King George over, we're now doing to ourselves. <laughs> right? Okay? So here's reality. Reality is you're always going to have somebody telling you what to do. You're always going to have somebody telling you how you should live for the rest of your life. I want you to consider, since it's going to happen anyway, allowing God to have that authority when it comes to your life. And I want you to make a decision today to actually come under the authority of God by coming under the authority of the Bible. Now, the Bible doesn't have any authority on its own. The Bible gets its authority from God. God has all the authority. I mean, if you think about it for a moment, if there's this all-powerful being that made everything that's reality, he kind of has the right and the ability to tell us what to do. <laughs> he made us. Okay? So the Bible actually, the Bible's authority is borrowed authority. It has authority because God has authority, and God speaks through the Bible. That's why it has authority. So uh, Jesus models for us how to live under authority. And everybody's a fan of Jesus. Everybody likes Jesus. So I want to wade into and I want to look at several passages that give us a good picture of how Jesus lived under the authority of God. And last week I challenged you to start reading one of the Gospels, maybe Luke or John. Here's a question that you could add into your reading of those Gospels. And that question is this. How did Jesus handle authority? How did he handle authority? If this is God's son visiting the planet, how did he walk out authority? What, how did he interface with it? How did he make decisions? Did he defer to anyone and why? Okay, so how did Jesus handle authority? So the first, first passage we're going to be in is John 19. So if you brought a Bible, you can open it to John chapter 19, verses 10 and 11. So this, this is at the... Jesus is being interrogated by Pilate, who is in charge of this part, uh, this Roman province, and uh, Pilate uh, asks him a question, verse 10. Why don't you talk to me? Pilate demanded. Don't you realize that I have the power to release you or crucify you? And then Jesus said, you would have no power over me unless it were given to you from above. So the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. Pilate's in Jesus' face. Jesus is not saying anything. Jesus is sentenced. Pilate has this sense, 
the guy's not done anything wrong. What are you guys all been out of shape about? And so he's wanting Jesus to speak up for himself. And he does this kind of, you know, hey, I'm the Roman governor. I'm, you know, don't you understand who I am? I, you know, I've got power over your life. And Jesus kind of turns the table and he's saying to Pilate, yeah, no, actually you don't. You think you have power. And the only power you have is because it was given to you from above. You don't have a power over me. And, and there's this wonderful little interplay that, that takes out. And Jesus is constantly doing this throughout the Gospel of John. In John chapter 8, verses 28 and 29, we're going to be flipping around a lot today, which is uncharacteristic of me, but I want, to, I want you to get a good picture of Jesus and, and how he rolls with authority. So John 8, verse 28. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man on the cross, then you will understand that I am he. I do nothing on my own, but say only what the Father taught me. And the one who sent me is with me and has not deserted me, for I always do what pleases him. Okay? Here's God's Son, and he's making a statement that's basically, yeah, God the Father, he's the boss of me, and I, only, I do what he tells me to do. I'm yielded to him. There's this, and this is weird theology, but for you theology geeks, you'll get this. It's because within the Trinity, there's mutual submission. If you want to know what that means, let's have coffee this week, okay? But Jesus makes these, what I think are weird statements for the King of Kings to make, for the Son of God to make, and he makes them constantly throughout the Gospels. In John 5, verses 26 and 30, he says again something similar. John 5, 26 to 30. Uh, and so uh, he's getting in trouble because he's claimed to be the Son of God. And this is kind of his rebuttal. And I assure you that the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when the dead will hear my voice, the voice of the Son of God, and those who listen will live. The Father has life in himself, and he has granted that same life-giving power to his Son. That's, think about that for a minute. Jesus is saying this. Jesus is saying, I'm the Son. So God has the power to bring about and give life. And Jesus is saying, that power that God has, I have that power. Okay, this is like a Star Wars moment. <laughs> the lightsaber is drawn, okay? All right? That father has life in himself, and he's granted that same life-giving power to his son. And he has given him, that's Jesus, authority to judge everyone because he is the son of man. There's that word, authority. Don't be so surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's Son and they'll rise again. Those who've done good will rise to experience eternal life. Those who've continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. And the kicker, I can do nothing on my own. I judge as God tells me. Therefore, my judgment is just because I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. Um, and then one chapter over, uh, John 6, verse 38, Jesus says this, For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God that I should not lose even one of those he's given me, that I, but I should raise them up on the last day. And for me, the kicker is a couple of chapters over, John 10, verses 17 to 18. The Father loves me because I sacrificed my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For And get this, I have the authority to lay it down when I want and to take it up again. 
for this is what my father commanded. Now, I'm 45 years old, I'm a father, I pastor a church, I have some measure of authority in my life. I do not have the authority to lay down my life and pick it back up again. Come on, this is huge authority. And so, if in, in all of our broken down authority structures and whatnot, I'm going to go with the guy who has the authority, has the power to lay down his life and pick it back up again. That's some real authority that I don't see in Washington, that I don't see in denominational leadership. That, let's go down the list, right? That's some real authority. Dallas, that's actually freedom. Do you have the freedom to pick your own life back up again after you've laid it down? No, none of us have that kind of freedom. That's freedom. Dallas Willard makes this argument in his book, The Divine Conspiracy. He says this, You have to begin with the presupposition that Jesus was the freest man who ever lived. He was the freest man who ever lived. And, because he, was the, and he was the freest man who ever lived precisely because he was living his life under the authority of God the Father. And so I want, to make a, I want to make a statement to you that some of you might buck at, but I want you to consider that this might actually be true. And that is, if you want to experience maximum freedom for the rest of your life, the best way to be the most free you can possibly be is by actually living under the authority of God and under the authority of the Bible, which is God's authority. So, even when you don't like it, and I, I admit, there are times when I come across stuff in here and I go, Wah! perfect case in point. There's this passage in Hebrews where um, they, uh, the author makes the point, um, God will actually discipline his children because he loves his children and he wants them to develop character. And I can look back in my life and see moments where I had some painful um, relational problems. I had some painful experiences. I didn't like what was going on. I didn't like what was being said to me, how it was all playing out. And I look back, hindsight being greater clarity, and I realize I was being disciplined by my Heavenly Father because He wanted me to be a better man for it. Now, I look at that and i got to be honest. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. I wish God would roll a little differently, but at the end of the day, am I going to come under God's authority, even when I don't like what it is that's being said? So, uh, another case, even when you disagree with it. And there are, there are things where I'll read in here that it's consistent and clear, and I think to myself, you know, if I were the ruler of the universe, that's not how it would be. You know, if God could just get with the program and realize that I'm right about this, hello? Knock, knock, knock. Anyone home, maker and creator of the universe? <laughs> Okay? Even when you disagree with it, will you come under the authority of God? Will you come under the authority of the Bible? And sometimes, even when you don't understand it, will you come under the authority? And see, when something through the pages of this book becomes clear and consistent, you and I are faced with the, the question of, are we going to come under the authority, or are we just going to do what we want to do? And I've come to realize at my stage of life that I'm better off when I just go, yes, sir, God. It's your way. Got it. Yes, sir. I don't always like it. I don't always agree with it. I'm pretty, sometimes I'm pretty convinced God's out to lunch. But when the point of decision arrives in my life, 
when I've got my wits about me and I make a wise decision, it's I come under the authority of God. Now, some of the grown-ups, some of you in this room, you discovered that doing what you want to do, the way you want to do it, with whom you want to do it, leads to some very bad things, right? Um, my dad used to call this the stupid tax. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard of the stupid tax. Young people, here's a, here's a perfect uh, parent and kid conversation. If you're here today and you're a teenager, ask your parents this week, Mom, Dad, did you ever do something in life where you ended up paying the stupid tax? Would you be willing to talk to me about that set of circumstances, that decision, etc.? And parents, you know, this is, this is the moment, right? Okay? Some of you found out the hard way that not coming under the authority of God can lead to some very bad places. Um, you went to college, you borrowed a ton of money. The whole thing about a borrower being servant to the lender, you know, all this stuff the Bible talks about money. So you went out and you borrowed a gazillion dollars and you owed $30,000 and you started out in your first job and you were making $15,000 a year and you needed a car so you borrowed $10,000 to buy a car and then you had to close so you charged that out and you were about $10,000, $15,000 in credit card debt and then boom, all of a sudden you were getting calls all the time. Oh, oh this is Citibank. We just want to make sure that uh, you understood that the payment was due on the 20th of last month. You know. And all of a sudden then you were tensing up because you're like, oh crap, you know, the repo man is coming for the car. Ah! And in that moment... You just, you were like, man, if only I could tell the me of 20, don't do it. See, that's called the stupid text. Some of, some of you, some of us met a guy or a girl, and we were googly eyes over that guy or that girl, and when we brought that person home, mom and dad were like, mm, no. Grandma didn't even, you know, the filter's gone with grandma, so out it came, right? You had no business going out with them. Blah, 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 the best thing. And so you, what do you think to yourself? You just don't want me to be happy. You don't understand. You just don't get me. And so you, you were convinced. And then, you know, a year and a half into it, you were like, this sucks. <laughs> it's the stupid tax. Stupid tax. Some of us did things and we experiment, you experimented sexually. And, and you've been, you know, you've gotten those three letter things now attached to you. And there's this part of you that's like, I wish I could go back and tell me not to do those things because I would carry around the effects with me for the rest of my life. I wish I could go back. I wish I was under God's authority then. So here's the thing. In order for God to speak through the Bible, you kind of need to know what's in the Bible consistently. So, like, regular reading. This is why regular reading of the Bible is important. I know for some of us it's like, Max, that's hard. I just can't do that. I understand it's hard. Regular reading. If you're literate and you can read, read. If that's hard for you, they have these wonderful, like, DVDs, audio files. You can listen to the Bible while you're driving around in your car, and you can get it that way. Either way is okay. But regular, consistent Bible intake, you need that because you've got to know what God's speaking and saying through this if you're going to live under the authority that comes through it because God's speaking through it. Now, if you're, if you're making a big decision and you're totally unfamiliar with the contours of this book, pick somebody that you know that takes their walk with Jesus seriously. They're walking with Jesus. They're walking toward Jesus. And they know what's in here. And you can sit them down and you go, here's what I'm thinking about doing. Here's... Does the Bible have anything to say about this decision that I'm considering? 
and boom, you can get some wise counsel that way. So, but again, in order for God to speak through the Bible, you got to know what's in there. And I'm going to encourage you, again, this month, start with a gospel. Pick a gospel. There's four that you can pick from. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark's the shortest. Like, you could knock that out in an afternoon, those of you the voracious readers, and then be like, well, that was abrupt. <laughs> okay? Insider joke. Um, so... You, you could pick, or you could do John, and then you start out, and you're like, man, this is like Star Wars, bum ba da in a galaxy far away, in the beginning was the word, you know, it's, you know, so there's different, or you could go through Matthew, and you're begat, 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 who are, why are all these names important, I don't get, you know, again, or Luke, and then you're like, it's Christmas again, okay, so, but pick a gospel, pick a gospel, and start chunking through, and again, you want to be looking for what's going on with Jesus, what Jesus is saying, how he's interacting with people, because Jesus gives us the clearest picture of God. Here's why this is important. I, I want to tell you about my friend, okay? Jenny and I had an awesome couple friend. Oh, was, I loved hanging out with him. He was absolutely gregarious. He had a wicked sense of humor. Um, he probably should have been a stand-up comic. I mean, he was that funny. So when you met him, you just immediately were put at ease. You loved him. I mean, he was just one of those affable kind of guys. She had some health problems, but they were good together. And we loved, Jenny and I loved hanging out with them. So we would get together and we'd play cards. Um, when there was a big snow, what was it, 90, oh, 94, 95, somewhere in there, there was this huge snow. And we made this giant snow creature of death together, all of us. It was awesome. So, but he hit this point in his life, and he decided that, you know, he was going to get in shape. And this is before the days of P90X, okay? So you couldn't do that. So he actually, he actually started running, and he started going to the gym regularly. And within about nine months, the guy was buff. Like, I mean, at, to the point where it was really hot that first summer. So it was like 93, 90, 94 degrees. I swear, every time we got together, <laughs> You know, it was, it was the, it was, right, maybe that was not the way to jiggle, but, but you get the idea. He had worked out, and he had accomplished the goal, and he was showing off the guns and everything else, and so he was so pleased with himself. At that same summer, I remember having conversations with him and thinking, who are you? He had come to decide, now that he had uh, the body of one of the Greek gods of Mount Olympus, that his wife, health issue wife, was holding him back. Oh, I know. She is like such a chain. Max, you don't understand. I just, I just need out. I could do so much better than this. When he first said that to me, I so wanted to slap him, but I was afraid he would snap my arm in two. Because <laughs> he was like a god from Mount Olympus. <laughs> and I was a mere mortal. <laughs> okay? But we had these guys. And so he got it in his mind over a six-month period. He needed to quit his job. That was holding him back. He needed, you know, they were going to church, one of the bigger churches in Lexington at the time. And, you know, all that Christian stuff is just a bunch of stupid rules anyway. And I don't need that. There's like, it's, it's just, oh, it's like antiquated. And so he did. He cut, he freed himself. He served her papers um, and divorced her. He quit his job and he quit God, basically. 
and he moved uh, several states away, opened his own business, and he was going to finally be free. He was going to fly. And over the next 10 years, Jenny and I watched his entire life implode on himself. He went bankrupt. Within a year and a half, the business failed. Um, all of the women that were supposedly, you know, he was going to find this, you know, uh, Barbie doll, and they were going to be so happy together because she'd be into fitness too and wouldn't have health issues and nobody would have them. Duh. <laughs> and, and then, uh, so about five years later, all of the muscle stuff was gone. He wasn't working out anymore, and he was this blob. I remember seeing him getting together because uh, he was in town for something and thinking, whoa, you know, transformers, more than, you know, it's one of those moments. And I remember having the, here's the, here's the sad thing. He thought he would be so better off to just set what God wanted, set the vows that he made, again, part of what God wanted, et cetera, et cetera, set it all aside. He ended up at age 38 moving in with mom and dad. And then um, uh, mom died and then dad became demented really bad. And then he was stuck with some care issues and all kinds of, I mean, his life just unraveled. It completely unraveled. And I'm telling you, his experience is not unique. The grown-ups in this room will tell you, this is not just an isolated, once-in-a-million you know, experience. This is like when you don't, you know, it's, I, I love, this is what I tell my kids. God accommodates all learning styles. You can either learn the easy way and go through life under the authority of God, or later on in life you can learn the hard way. But at any rate, God accommodates all learning styles. He's more than happy to accommodate the learning curve for all of us. I just don't want you to learn the hard way because there's a lot of tears and regret. And I remember that lunch when he came down, and it was the, I blew it, I blew it. She'll never have me back. I totally, you know, I totally stabbed her in the back. I totally made a mess of my life. Yes, yep, you did. <laughs> when are you going to, you know, are you going <laughs> to... Are you going to cry uncle and come back under the authority of God? Sometimes old-fashioned preachers will put it this way. They'll say, the Bible tells you the right way to live. And, that, and that's partly at it, but I would rather you look at it this way. God still speaks through the Bible. God still speaks. And because he made you, because he loves you, because he knows how the universe works, he made it. You and I do best when we come under God's authority and allow him to speak and when he speaks to us simply respond by saying yes sir yes sir so will you this week make that decision and will you come under the authority of God